Welcome to Teacher Thrive, the podcast for educators who want to thrive, not just survive in their profession. With your hosts, certified coaches and teachers, Madel Mazella and Caitlin Rabai. Today we're talking about how to be in control, and I think this is a really great topic for the beginning of the year as we meet new parents, we have new students in our classes, all of those cool things. I know I'm starting a new school year with a special education teacher that they actually hired to help me this year, so I'm not over my caseload. I'm going to be sharing my tiny classroom with another person too. Oh, that's so so awesome. Yeah, it's up to five people in the half of a classroom. I'm going to really have to work on letting letting go of control or be control myself. That's hard because we love to be in control of our classrooms. We're very possessive of our classroom and our space, I think, as teachers. We don't like to share very much. Not our space. I know. I'm an only child, too, so I'm extra, like, not good at sharing. You're in for a surprise. <laughs> We always have to share classrooms as language teachers in the secondary level. And actually as elementary teacher, language teachers also, like they have to push in. Very rarely do teachers get their own classrooms. Yeah. In control, how to be in control. It begs the question, what can we control, right? So what are some things that we can control? us teachers. I know that a lot of people try to control their circumstances, like everything that's going on around them. They try to control other people. I know we think we can control our students, but that's almost an illusion of control that we have. Ultimately, small people or high school people are going to do what they would like to do. So we have to remember that circumstances are sometimes in our control. Like we can choose our job. We can choose where we want to live sometimes. But a lot of times we can't control other people's behavior. We can't control the way that somebody else shows up. We can't control other people's opinions of us as much as we want to try. So I think a lot of people go through life trying to control all of those things. And that is where we run into burnout when we're trying to control every little thing about our day to make ourselves feel better. And a lot of times those things aren't in our control. So when we try to control the uncontrollable, it feels very frustrating and it feels very fruitless and we get ourselves really worn out. Yes, especially because we are told that as teachers, our job is to control the kids, right? Like classroom management is its a big issue. It's a big topic, especially when you're a beginner. So we think sometimes that when the kids misbehave, it's a reflection of our poor ability as teachers. But we are going to talk about how that's not the case, right? That is not the case. There are things that you can definitely do to improve your classroom management for sure. But ultimately, the kids, when when they, you know, misbehave or, you know, they really don't comply or comply or they're actually disrespectful, that has nothing to do with your ability as a teacher, right? There's some things you just cannot control. You cannot control someone else's actions. So, so yeah, I guess we should start with kind of the things that we can control because that places us kind of in that center of the locus. We look at circumstances and then what our thoughts are about those circumstances. So if a student is misbehaving, how are we thinking about that? Are we 
making that mean that we are failing as a teacher? Are we making that mean that we don't have good classroom management? So those thoughts are always in our control. And a lot of times we think that we don't have control over them, that they're automatic. And in reality, you have control over every single thought that's in your head. You just have to become aware of what's going on in your head and that it's not automatic. It's something that's practiced. It's something that you have have patterns over time and your brain gets used to thinking the same things because it always wants to be efficient. Yes. And since we're talking about kids misbehaving, I mean, I think that's the biggest point in, in this episode. When kids misbehave, how do you respond? You're in control to, and you're in control of that. So your response to things you can control. You cannot control how a student chooses to behave or if they're having a bad day or whatever the case might be. But you can choose how you respond. With practice, you can choose to offer a response that does not get you off kilter. We're not saying that you're going to be perfect, but we are the adults in the classroom. And knowing our thoughts, it's like the biggest tool. Because once you know that, for example, you're being triggered or a student is being disrespectful, let's say, you can choose to restrain yourself from doing or saying something that will ultimately not lead to the result that you want. If it's something that happens spontaneously, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to know how to control yourself unless you have practice with the thoughts that you want to evoke. We have all had difficult students and there's always one or two that will make your year impossible. I know that the student is going to do things that will trigger me, that will make the delivery of my lesson harder. So I will have strategies for he or she, but when they don't comply, I will respond kindly. I will give him or her a little bit more attention. I will do things that are contrary to my default, right? So if the kid is disrespectful, my default would be kick him out of the classroom. If instead I show restraint, and this is how I choose to react. And, and in my personal opinion, I would not want any student to affect the way I'm showing up for the rest of the classroom and the way I show up for the rest of the day. Do I feel that kind of anger inside? Of course, I'm a human being. But the way I will choose to respond is with love and kindness. And then I would practice on my way home. I always practice the thought like I will love on that student. I will show him more patience. What else can I do to show him or her that I'm there to support him or her and that I will always be the adult? It's not easy. It is challenging. But the more I show up as the adult and the more I restrain in my actions or my reactions, the better day I have and the better relationship I have. 100%. I know I've had similar experiences too, especially the kids that I have that have either multiple impairments, if they have emotional impairments, or they have emotional dysregulation. I find myself spending a lot more time on learning how to teach them how to regulate themselves emotionally versus actually teaching them those subject areas. Because if they're not regulated emotionally, I can't get them to do anything. They're not in their right brain. They're not going to remember anything that we worked on. They're just 
stuck in kind of that lower brain loop where they're getting angry over and over again. So I loved what you said, like loving on them. The student that I had in particular needed so much encouragement, needed time to talk about what was going on that they were upset about. They needed time to kind of express how they wanted their day to go from then on. They needed time to calm themselves down and get themselves in a better frame of mind. And I also do have a lot of kids that come into my room when they are emotionally dysregulated. And I feel like we have a lot of talks about that kind of stuff, that it's totally valid, whatever they're feeling, and we can talk about it and get them into a better mindset. Letting them express that versus stopping them and being like, I don't have time for this. We have to do math and reading and all these other things you are already behind on that because most of my students are academically struggling also. If I push into academics when they're not in that headspace, I get nowhere. So especially as a special ed teacher that works with younger kids who are trying to figure out how to deal with their emotions, so much of your time is going to be spent on teaching them how to regulate themselves and how to notice their thoughts just like we do, how to notice their feelings and how to determine what action that they should take. And it was really cool to see because by the end of that school year, the student was coming up with actions that I never thought they would come up with. Like when they had a quick reaction to something, they would come in and talk to me about how they were feeling left out. Like these were words that they didn't have in their vocabulary before and that they wanted to write a letter to apologize to somebody. (laughs) Like I never thought I would get there with the student. And it was really cool to see that anyone can learn how to emotionally regulate themselves and that this tool, these models, like understanding your thoughts, feelings, and actions can help every single person to function better inside themselves. Also, something else you mentioned in the beginning, how we react to circumstances with the upcoming school year, there will be things in the pipeline for us to implement. And no one likes the new thing that we have to do because we all feel, can we just do our job in the classroom? And can you just let me teach the way that I see fit or whatever the case might be? What can we do with the new initiatives? When they change up our curriculum or they want us to start a new program, I always start with a really negative mindset about it because I don't enjoy changing everything. I feel like once I've spent all the time to figure out how to do something, I want to keep doing that thing and tweak it until it gets better. So that is actually one of those circumstances that's out of our control. Unless we choose to change our job to a different school district, but we know all school districts have new initiatives. It seems like every year somebody has a brand new thing that they want everybody to do. But that is one of those circumstances that's out of our control. So the things that we can decide in relation to that are how we're going to think about it. And based on those thoughts, we're going to have certain feelings. Like I would automatically want to be like super pissed off about it. (laughs) Then I'm going to have some really like negative responses during the day. And I'm the actions that I take are going to be pretty like I might not actually look at the stuff. I might not spend any time doing it. And then I'm going to be unprepared for whatever we're supposed to do during the year. So the result that we would get in that situation is that we're creating a loop of negativity that we have to deal with ourselves. Nobody else feels those feelings inside of us. So the thoughts that we choose when things change are so important because we're affecting our entire emotional health when we make choices to have negative thoughts and then negative feelings, negative actions. And it's usually worse in our thoughts than taking the steps to getting the thing completed. In my experience, it's always a way. So whenever we have to do something, it's always worse when I think about, oh my God, 
really? I have to do how many things? How many workshops? How many trainings? And then if I choose to stay with that thought, I'll be miserable and it will be on my to-do list. And I'll always look at it and feel resentful or feel icky about my list, right? Not look forward to doing the, the workshop or whatever it is on the list. If you actually just say, okay, this is what needs to happen, right? Because this is something that you cannot control. You have to do it. You might as well change your mindset about the task and how you change it is you just take steps to completing the task. And I always find that when I do that, it's actually not that bad. Mm -hmm. What we have done recently, we team up for bigger projects and we do them together and we get them done, boom, boom, boom. And it's not that big of a deal, right? It's always the case in my in my experience. It's always worse when you overthink and when you commiserate with other people about the tasks that you have to do. And then you make it bigger and worse in your own head than actually taking that time to actually doing it. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think it applies to parents too and students when you, you know, teachers talk about stuff and they'll be like, oh, you're going to have that nightmare parent next year or you're going to, or this kid is just, you're going to have a time with them. If you spend your time thinking about how terrible that's going to be or like, I think changing your thoughts about how you perceive other people, even if it's something as simple as like going from this parent's going to be a nightmare to I'll take every situation as it comes, or I'll do this one step at a time, like you were saying about the new initiatives that we have to do, or something like I'm going to figure this kid out, or I'm going to love these kids unconditionally. I'm going to try to understand this parent. When we go into a situation and we're already closed off and we already have really negative thoughts about it, we're almost guaranteed that that result that we get from going into that situation is going to turn out negative. If our thoughts and feelings are negative, we're going to come out with negative actions and we're going to get a negative result. It's just the way your brain works. It it makes it come true. That's what manifestation is when people talk about manifestation. It's not a magic thing. It's how your brain works. It's your thoughts create your feelings. Your feelings lead to your actions and those turn into your results. So if we build negativity into our lives, those are the kinds of results that we're going to get. And it's really interesting how quickly you can change that around if you are mindful about it and if you make an effort to actually look at your thoughts and figure out where those little picky things are that you have running on autopilot in your brain. Yeah. I don't know who said this, but when you cannot change your circumstances or your situation, you have to change yourself. It's not a new thing because when you read it, you kind of know it when you read it, but when you're in it, it doesn't happen naturally. You want to change the circumstances. You want to change everyone so that you're not triggered, so that you're happy. We can't, right? We cannot Mm -hmm. change some things. And when that's the case, then you change your approach. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really easy to get into that cycle, especially if you have people around you who are upset about the same things too, that you can just spend hours commiserating, if you want to call it that, or talking to death, all of the things that are things that we can't change. I know we have a new math program at our school this year. And like, we were choosing between three different ones. And everyone's upset that like, they didn't pick the one that they particularly wanted. Like, that's not a thing we can change. Like, it's, it's done. So a lot of times, I like to think about whether the things that I'm spending my time talking about are going to make a change, or if it's 
just kind of spinning my wheels. Yes. Like, am I digging myself deeper into negativity? Or is this something that like having a discourse about is going to end up in change? Because if it is, great. If it's not, um, you're just complaining to hear yourself complain. Because it feels good in the moment. Like, it feels good to be like, this stinks. Like... It feels delicious, especially when you have others that agree with you. It feels mm -hmm. really good. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, there are benefits to, I love to call it commiserating, to complaining with your friends about some things that you agree. And it feels good because, you know, you feel validated for all the reasons that we talk about on the podcast. You feel validated. You feel heard. You feel seen because, you know, we understand each other. We know the struggle struggle as teachers. It's just that, I loved how you put it, you are digging yourself into more negativity. If it doesn't mm -hmm. help you kind of like improve your attitude or mindset about something, it, it's not serving you. And it's not really a good thing for you. I know that for me, it's just not it might feel great in the moment. And it might feel good because, you know, we're, we have a nice chat about something that we all, like complaining just feels good in the moment. But mm -hmm. I know that, for example, walking back to my classroom, I have to be in a really great mindset because I have to show up with energy. And if you complain a lot, it just saps my energy. I want to call it my spirit. I don't know if it sounds too woo-woo, but just not in the right frame of mind. And then that's just something ruminating in the back of my head. And I might show up with like a little negativity with my kids or in like a, in a bad mood or it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think we almost trauma bond with other teachers because we have so many things that can go awry like in the school day. And we do feel connected when we're like, I've also gone through this really tough experience. But at a certain point, <laughs> we're like, if we're not going to therapy right after school, <laughs> like you're saying we have to get through the day, right? And I noticed too, that some of my kids I find very, very challenging, especially the kids that I can't seem to figure out and those that have really huge responses to things. And I just want to say too, it's okay not to do it perfectly because there are times where we're just emotionally overloaded. We're at that limit that we can't function in the classroom. And it's okay to ask for help at that point too. It's okay to like tag somebody else in, grab somebody in the hallway, call your principal to come down for five minutes so that you can get yourself into a better thought sequence, into feeling a little bit better so you can finish your day too. I know we've yeah. all had those lunches where we've like cried and pulled it back together. Yes. Yes. I loved that. It's not about doing it perfectly. I know that when I catch myself complaining and doing things that I know is my goal not to do. I reflect on it and I just ask myself questions like, why, why did I chime in? What was it that I needed to get off my chest? And then I show myself a lot of compassion too. You know, I'm a human being. Things bother me, of course. You know, things get to me, get under my skin. All the things that human beings experience. Being aware of what triggers you is what's important. And then reflecting on that. Let's say my goal is not complaining. And if I catch myself complaining, instead of like beating myself up for it, I'll just say, why did I complain? Or what was my need? And those questions kind of show yourself to you, right? Yeah. So I think it goes back to that like self-validation that we talked about in the last episode that like you're recognizing what's going on with you and telling yourself that it makes sense. Of course, I want to complain about this. This is a huge change. I have to throw 
throw away all of my books and restart something over and over again. Like it 100% makes sense. But from that point on, since this is a thing I can't get away from, where do I want to go? Yeah. And I think my idea before was when you mentioned when we like to feel connected, if I complained because I wanted to feel connection, then I would ask like, where am I disconnected from myself? And it kind of those questions ground you and center you and then you kind of get back to yourself. And then you, you're even saying that right now, it just feels like, oh, I can breathe because I know that whatever was going on within me was showing up as complaining or whatever. But yeah, that is something that you can control. Yeah, I think in the show notes, we're going to add in a little exercise if you want to practice looking at your thoughts, doing a thought download, which is something Medell and I both teach when we do one-on-one private coaching. It'll teach you a little bit about how circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, and results all are interconnected and can help you to figure out what's going on in your brain and how you can show up the way that you really want to. It will change your life. Please try it and let us know. It will definitely change your life. Try it with something that is not too triggering. Try it with changing your attitude about something and see how it goes. But yes, implementing the model and aiming to change that result, some things that are within your control, it's life altering. It will change Mm -hmm. your life for sure. And if anyone wants to learn how to use these tools, Medell and I both offer free sessions. So contact us at our individual websites and we're happy to teach you all of this stuff and help in whatever way we can that's all for this episode of teacher thrive we'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics so please reach out to us links to our websites freebies and social media accounts are included in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode thanks for listening and we'll see you next time